the hustle is a wonderful thing. It's great to do stuff that you love and really push on it and build it into something huge, but you got to watch out for yourself. You got to watch out for your personal health, your mental health. You, you know, you got to take care of yourself. That's right. Um, at the end of the day, if you burn out, have a heart attack, whatever, you're not any good to anybody yeah. and your family's not going to appreciate that. Nope. So yeah, you know, maybe scale it back a little bit and, and learn to live life. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host Dave Mays here in the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is Photo Joseph, a photographer, filmmaker, YouTuber, content producer, educator, and entrepreneur who's had an amazing journey leading to where he's at. Joseph worked for Apple for several years and we talk all about that in our interview and he now makes a full-time living doing what he loves based around educating people on how to become a better content creator. In my conversation with Joseph, we also go over how to actually run your business when it comes to the finances, which I think is something a lot of creatives overlook. Having success with your business and finances is a huge key to your success as an artist, and it's really the marriage between art and business that makes Photo Joseph a success. It was a real honor for us to interview Joseph, but before we listen to the conversation, I want to remind you guys to please subscribe to the Golden Hour podcast and share it with a friend. We want to thank you guys again for listening every single week without any further ado let's listen in on my interview with photo joseph so photo joseph we have here uh on the show thanks for being on we just got back from uh vlog university hosted by i justine here I in la justine yeah and uh yeah it's uh, you know a pleasure having you on the show we've been thanks friends now me. friendly with each other for about uh, about a year and a half or so, I guess so. yeah something like that kind of met at nab i think last year is that right is that or right yeah it could was be. it before that i don't know uh, you know they all blur together there's a they? lot of conferences there's a lot of conferences you know before we started recording we were talking about you know, i live in a small town and how I don't have other content creators around me, mm -hmm. but I travel so much and I do so many events and shows that I really feel like I do. You yeah. know, I run into you guys all mm -hmm. the time at events and it's great because it's, you know, these are my friends and family that yeah. I run into everywhere. So it's, you know, it's easier that way when you live in a small town, you, but you travel enough, you see these people. Yeah. Cool. I mean, to be honest, I live, you know, somewhat close to LA in Orange County and I see everybody as much as you just at the conferences. Right, right. <laughs> so it's not like I'm just running into him on the street, even though we do live near each other. You know. Yeah, in a town this size, you probably don't run into too many people you know on the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the uh, in the niche that we're in. But I mean, let's talk about that. You yeah. you run a YouTube channel called Photo Joseph. Yep. Uh, I discovered your content years ago before I was even doing YouTube. Honestly, I was looking into doing some live stream stuff, and of course your content is like right up there with some of the top, you know, trending uh, videos, at least when I was looking for it. And you just totally nerd out about uh, <laughs> live streaming stuff, which I, you can go into the weeds with your content and I really, do go into the weeds. but that's not anywhere near what, you know, your career has been is just YouTube. You have, yeah. have been all over the map with different jobs, working for Apple, doing photography. Let's start you know, fresh out of high school, going into college, like what were what were your dreams and aspirations sure, at that sure. age? Well, actually, my photography career, if you want to call it that, started way way earlier. I oh, was, really? Yeah, I was. Talk about that. Um, I grew up with a camera in my hand, basically. I I owned my first SLR when I was seven years old. Uh, my earliest pictures of me with a camera in my hand, like wow. a little point shoot. I'm five years old, five or six years old. So yeah, I've had a camera forever. My dad was really into photography, so I just grew up around it, and I did photography in high school. I shot for the yearbook and the 
class historian and, and you know all that good stuff for the newspaper and then I went to school to study photography so in college I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo I have a degree in art and design with a concentration in photography and I graduated from there in 96 so this is you know quite a while ago and I it's funny because now of course I wouldn't advise too many people to go to school for this kind of stuff but sure. you know back then eh, you know it is what it is and yeah and learn to develop the film there right oh absolutely yeah well, i mean i you know already did that but yes absolutely we we're yeah. processing we we're in the dark room uh you know great studio experience had a lot of really good studio experience mm. there it's probably the, the best thing that i learned photography wise there but of course the whole experience of going to school is great yeah. no matter what sure but yeah when i graduated from college i so we're talking, like I said, 96, Photoshop was in 1.0, and do you, do you remember, I don't know how old you are, you're, you're a bit younger than me, but um, do you remember, do you know of a company called uh, Metatools or HSC Software, and they made a plugin, series of plugins for Photoshop called Kai's Power Tools? No, I, I, because I was a video editor, I'm familiar with Macromedia and, uh, you okay. know, Flash and After sure. Effects and all that, but... Uh, no, I, I never really got into Photoshop in okay. my early days. Yeah, so old school plugins for Photoshop, Kai's Power Tools. They were these really funky kind of psychedelic plugins. Mm -hmm. Kai, the founder, was this nutty German guy who was really into uh, just really into crazy wild effects. And, and he had hired some people who were insanely good at math and could do these incredible things on these really old, you know, relatively speaking, really old slow Macs. Yeah. And... It was, it was a cool company, and I got involved with them when I was still in school. And when I graduated from university, I made, had to make the decision, do I, do I continue down this path of content creation? I mean, obviously, we didn't call it that then, but doing <laughs> photography. Yeah. Or In the 90s, I, walking around, I make, I make con content. I'm I a make content creator. Like, <laughs> what the heck is that? Right. <laughs> or do I yeah. go down this other path, this software world, to help make the tools? So is, mm -hmm. do, I, do I stay on the creative making the art mm. or do I go down the path of helping to make the tools to make the art and it was such an interesting thing and it was such a fascinating time like I said Photoshop 1.0 was just everything was new and exciting yeah. and so I went that route and so that took me into a career of software for a base almost 15 years I guess it was about 15 years and so I worked at Meta for a number of years that took me that, that was in Carpinteria uh, Santa Barbara area so not that uh, far yeah. from here yeah. I've been there it's beautiful here. yeah nice area for sure and so I worked there for quite a few years and they transferred me, they moved me out to Europe. I ended up living in Amsterdam for wow. a couple of years. And then, and my job there was evangelist. I was the you know, marketing guy, evangelist. Mm -hmm. I did all the training, did trade shows, stuff like that for EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I had a, mm -hmm. quite a region to cover. So I did a lot of travel. And then uh, from there, and like I said, that was in Amsterdam and then decided to move to London. And right about that time, the company ended up going under. Mm -hmm. And so... I lost my job at this great company about, was it a couple weeks before Christmas of 1999? Oh, wow. So basically, I <laughs> broke into the millennium, the new millennium, uh, mm -hmm. with no job, a visa that was about to go away because I was there on a work visa. And it kind of turned everything upside down. And I ended up trying to do my own thing for a year. And it actually worked out pretty well. But because of the visa situation, we couldn't stay in Europe. Ended mm -hmm. up back in the U.S. And, and tried to figure some things out and ended up at Apple. And because of the work that I had been doing in Europe, I knew a lot of people at a lot of different companies. And Apple was one of them and, and had got some of the right introductions and yeah. got an interview in Cupertino. And I ended up working there. And I was on the Final Cut team. 
So oh, I was wow. hired. I did not know this. Yeah. So I was hired as the technical marketing manager. So this is now 2000, 2000 2001. I guess it's 2001 by the time and I actually started. By the working. way, did, did Apple acquire Final Cut or no. did they create it? Oh, sorry. Yes. Apple did acquire Final Cut from Macromedia. That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I forgot. I no, it's, it's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so long ago, right? Literally 20 years ago now. <laughs> but no, you're right. Randy Ublios was the, the architect of that. He came over from Macromedia. Um, with the acquisition of that. And I guess, mm -hmm. did Apple buy Macromedia in its entirety? I think so. Well, I mean, f Adobe bought Flash and... Okay, so I guess Macromedia. they split it into pieces. Yeah, wow, I'd have to look that history up to see exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, because Adobe had Flash, mm -hmm. which was a Macromedia product, mm -hmm. right? And Final Cut was a Macromedia product, which I don't think had actually been sold yet. I don't think it okay. was available yet until I think Apple released it, but the primary code came from there. Yeah. Anyway, so when I got hired... Final Cut was at version 1.25. And I remember that because wow. having I would, had just come back from living in Europe and I had written an article on Final Cut 1.25 in a, I don't remember what the magazine was, but some UK Mac-based magazine. And I'd written an article about it because 1.25 was the first PAL version. Final Cut 1.0 was NTSC only. Okay, 1.25 yeah. was PAL. was the first time they had a PAL. And so I had written an article on there. So I did a bunch of research about it. And I had zero video background at that point. I mean, what's with the article? Were you a journalist too? or I, You know, I was... I, just freelance. Things. Yeah, just freelancing. Freelance you know, writing. I'm, at that point, most of my career had been doing public presentations about software. Training, okay. gotcha. talking about it as an evangelist. So right? you're, I, you're an expert. People go that's to That's the idea. Yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And one of my, my kind of superpowers, I like to say, is that... I can learn an app very quickly and then turn around and explain it to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I've actually done things where I've done kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like a test, you'd call it for a company at a trade show where I'm trying to get them to hire me to do presentations, you know, as a freelancer. And I've had situations where they say, okay, well, here's an app. You got 30 minutes and then you're going to go up on stage and do a demo on it. <laughs> done. Right. And I can do that. And like I said, it's just, it's kind of my superpower. Right. So, That's cool. <laughs> so final cut was that same thing. I mm -hmm. learned what I needed to learn, wrote an article about it. Well, that article ended up being the piece of my resume that got me into Apple. And they hired me as the technical marketing manager, which was definitely a bit above what my experience level should have gotten me into, mm -hmm. but you know, talk the talk, whatever. And, sure. and it was a really small team and I came with referrals from other people within Apple. And so, mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up working there and was on that team until 2009 when I left. And so over the course of that oh, time, wow. yeah. So I was, I worked on Final Cut through, basically through the end. When I left, Final Cut 7 was shipping. Final Cut Pro 10, as we know it today, shipped after I left. Mm -hmm. So, but I was there for the duration from Final Cut 1 through 7, which then included uh, the acquisition of DVD Studio Pro, mm -hmm. Shake, uh, the development of motion, the acquisition of Logic, the development of GarageBand, the entire iLife suite, iMovie. the launch of the iPod. All right. Oh, yeah. Of course, iMovie, the launch of the iPod, um, the launch of the iPhone. There's um, software-wise, the Photos app, right, mm -hmm. which was iPhoto at the time, initially iPhoto, and then Aperture. And Jeez, which I miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aperture was pretty sweet. It was definitely a good app. And the development of Aperture was my big kind of deviation from video okay. tour back to photography. And were you doing photo shoots on the side for fun or you no, know, anything? No, there was no time to do anything on okay. the side. My, my Your love for there, photography was still there, though, I'm sure. It was, but I had, yeah, that's a good point. And it was definitely there, but I, I had, when I left college and I started working this other career, I kind of put the camera down. And at that point, it was one of these things where I said, you know, I have been taking pictures, even though I was, what, twenty. 
two or whatever years old, I'd been taking pictures for over 15 years, mm-hmm. right? And so it was like, I, it's kind of, you know, trying to do something else. And so I didn't really touch a camera that much for the better part of a decade. Okay. And it, did, it didn't bother you? It didn't bother me. Uh, okay. And, and then... And I, I think that I even sold off my gear at some point. I don't remember, but whatever. You know, I had like a point and shoot and you know, whatever, right? And then at Apple, iPhoto got launched. And I had nothing to do with iPhoto, but it was, or, yeah, iPhoto was called. Um, I had nothing to do with it, but it, it suddenly was there. And mm-hmm. I was friends with the product manager. And I, I guess I probably knew about it, you know, maybe a month or two before it was released. But like I said, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And that was really awesome. And wow. And I, and I was talking to the product manager and kind of day one going, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a pro version of this? Mm-hmm. And he's going, yeah, I know. Uh, that would be really, really great. And a few of us talked about it, and a few of us kind of talked to management. And then, you know, there were obviously a lot of other discussions behind the scene that I wasn't privy to, but then suddenly I was told that this product was going to be developed, oh, wow. which was going to become Aperture. And so they hired, brought in a product manager, and of course had a whole engineering team and so on. And I was involved from a pretty early stage of... I'm not an engineer, but it was more of kind of feature development, if you Mm -hmm. will, kind of working with the engineering team to help point the direction of certain features. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to oversell how much I did there because it's not like, you know, I was instrumental in anything there. But I definitely had my fingerprints all over that app. That that I can say with confidence. My fingerprints are all over that app. Did Lightroom exist yet at that time? No, not yet. So this, well, not yet as far as we knew. Okay. And so... At, at Photo Plus Expo 2005, I'm pretty sure I've got that right, is when we launched, introduced Aperture to the world. And my buddy, Martin Gisborne, who is a friend of mine from, we had worked together in Europe, and then he ended up at Apple in the US with us. Um, we, he and I did the demos of Aperture, kind of back to back all day long, taking turns doing demos of Aperture on stage at Photo Plus, introducing it to the world. And you know, nobody had seen anything like this before. Absolutely nothing like this existed. Can you, can you give it in a nutshell to a listener who may not actually know what Aperture is? Because it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. And we do have a lot of great photographers that listen to this that are, are newer. Sure. No, fair enough. So if you were familiar with Lightroom, then that is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is the basic same idea. It was an asset management tool that was your full processing engine. It was a place to store your photos, edit your photos, deliver your photos. With an emphasis on, on raw editing. Uh, right. No, that's absolutely right. It was, and I guess that's a good point. At because the time, back then, didn't... Yeah, back then nobody was, editing raw required you to open the photo in Adobe Camera Raw, a single mm-hmm. photo in Adobe Camera Raw, mm-hmm. and do the processing. And so the raw workflow really sucked. And for most people, most photographers, I think they would just shoot JPEG, or mm-hmm. if you shot RAW, you shot RAW plus JPEG, but you did the JPEG. Anyway, it, the RAW devel- it, the raw process I remember, I remember for me, I did r- both, and when I needed to go to it to maybe fix a, a huge screw-up, I would right. go to the one and fix it. Then you would go to the RAW But file. it's just JPEGs, you know. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so the whole idea here was that you could, you could edit RAW files as easily as you could edit JPEGs. Mm-hmm. It was the start-to-finish solution. You import, you do your, all, all your asset management. You could have a thousand images and it, you can yeah. manage those images really well. It's Lightroom, you know. It, it, well, yeah. Um, but again, <laughs> this was, nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Yes. And then... The story goes, as I've heard it, that at some point before that, Adobe had developed Lightroom, whatever it was called, but they had they had a early version of Lightroom that they had shelved because, again, as the story goes that I've heard, and who knows how true this is, but the story is that they had shelved it because they didn't want to cannibalize Photoshop. 
Okay. And then once Apple showed Aperture, they went, oh crap, <laughs> dusted it off and polished it up and released it as a beta not that long later. I believe it was the following Macworld where, okay. uh, where they were showing, which would have been in January, where they were showing a beta version of it. So for anybody that might have been thinking like, oh, well, they're just doing that because Aperture... That would have been too fast of a turnaround, right? So and it, obviously it, it was shelved. Or yeah, something. and I don't. You don't know the whole. I, truth yeah, well, right, that, and yeah. I don't. And you know, time gets fuzzy, right? And I don't remember. So if let's just say that Aperture was 2005 that it was launched, which I'm, I'm pretty sure is right. I don't remember if it was 2006 MacWorld or 2007 that sure. they started shipping the beta of Lightroom, but it was it was quick for sure. Yeah, the thing that I remember about Aperture, and I I didn't get into this world till till 2008, so at that time it, it matured a little bit. Um, it was fast on a Mac. Oh, it, yeah. it, it ran so much better than Lightroom did. Well, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> there so, were, yeah there were a lot of advantages there, and you know it's like the secret sauce of Apple all the time is that they'd make the hardware and the operating system and the yeah. software. At that point, you can really make it blend mm -hmm. and, and work really nicely together. But yeah, so Aperture developed beautifully. Um, there's you know certainly a lot of as there is with any product launch, there's a lot of drama that goes into it, but we got a great product out the door and it mm -hmm. continued to evolve and, and it was an awesome product, but then Lightroom came on, on the heels of it and Lightroom had a very different paradigm and we were very much kind of, look, the way they're doing it is the wrong way to do it. The way we're doing it is the right way to do it. And it had to do with the whole workflow. And to this day, Lightroom Classic, what is now called Lightroom Classic, I think that the workflow in there kind of sucks. It is yeah. not a good way to go. That's why I... Yeah, I I get it. I, I was an Aperture user. Right. Aperture was great. and But the Aperture development really slowed down. And for reasons that I was never privy to, they really just stopped developing features. And um, eventually, of course, and we're obviously skipping ahead quite a bit in time here, but eventually the product was canned completely. Mm -hmm. By that point, Lightroom had was you know leaps and bounds beyond it as far as as far as what it could do to Im for image editing. It had features that Aperture was supposed to have but never got. And, yeah. you know, Lightroom was just better. And except for the asset management part of it, the workflow sure. still kind of sucked. But, you know, it was a better tool. If Apple poured money into it, I'm sure they could have made it great, just like how Final Cut is, is competing with Premiere, and, it, and sure. it's a great app. But yeah. during that whole time, you know, Steve Jobs died, the, the company probably shifted and changed leadership roles. And there was a period of time a couple of years ago where it felt like Apple didn't care about pros. And now they right. seem to have this great resurgence back into like, I've got this 16 inch MacBook Pro that this is the first MacBook that I've been proud of ever since the 2015 model, you know, <laughs> that I that I had years yeah. ago. Um, so they, they really, and the new Mac Pro, you know, yeah. so they, they're really doing a great job yeah, now, I think pros. so. Um, yeah, but they, they certainly, you know, you mentioned Steve, but that was, they had kind of stopped releasing updates for Aperture long before we lost Steve. So I don't know, okay. again, I, I'm not privy to that internal stuff, but, sure. um, and what was going on there, but for whatever reason, it just kind of stopped and then they just killed it completely. Mm -hmm. And Lightroom did eventually release Lightroom, what is now called Lightroom CC, or actually it's just called Lightroom. It was Lightroom CC. It's just, anyways, the cloud-based one. Yeah. Which, when it first came out, was very baby. It was basically like an iPhoto or Apple mm -hmm. Photos, as it was called at the really time. stripped down. It feels like an iPad app or something. Well, when it was first released, it was definitely very light on features, but Adobe made a very clear statement that this is the future. You know, we're going to keep developing classic, but this is the future. Get on board. And I... I had I was using Lightroom Classic at that point. I started using Lightroom CC maybe six months in or so. Once I got a couple of key features, and I'd kind of go back and forth between the two. But for years now, I've been 100% Lightroom CC. I absolutely okay. love it. I 
totally fast. love that app. Mm -hmm. It's fast. It's the big thing is that my photos are everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. I can access my entire photo library on my iPhone, on my iPad, on any of my Macs. Like it's everywhere, and I love that. <laughs> I really do. I'm a huge. That's huge awesome. Fan so of even it. if your raw files are being stored off-site, you're you're able to still manipulate them and play. Well, yeah, because they're stored in the cloud. Okay. It's it's a system where cloud storage is not optional. And okay. you, I guess you can to some degree, but you're really, really crippling what I you didn't can understand do. that. Yeah. You I know, turn off cloud. I turn yeah, off no, the cloud. No, no, the whole point, its whole purpose in life is that your photos are in the cloud. I see. So part of that is you don't have to worry about backup. Sure. Now, obviously, it's still smart to keep your own copy, oh, of sure, yeah. but you don't have to worry about it. Okay. And your photos are stored in the cloud. And if you're on a device, like you can, on your Mac, you can say store all files locally. And so you will have all your RAWs local there. And that's what I do on my main system. All the RAWs are stored locally there. And then that is backed up on my side. So I do have my own backup of that. Mm -hmm. But they are also all stored in the Adobe Cloud, which means when I pull out my iPhone, any photo that I shot since I started using it, and I'm getting ready to migrate a 50,000 image library from Aperture over into it, oh, wow. which is going to, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a big Wait, step. You still have Aperture? How do you I have still, it? yeah, yeah, I still have it. Yeah. On an old machine or something? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> still amazing. running on an old iMac. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm. That's incredible. I think, uh, also I've heard from Apple, you know, they, they have added a lot more to photos now. It's not yeah. iPhoto anymore. And they're like, well, we got photos now, so yeah, we don't need but it's not, but it's it is not, not a same. pro app, no. But you, well, can, you can edit RAWs, though, in Photos now. Oh, sure. Uh, it's now. very powerful in what it can do, and it is a great editor, but it is there's only one feature you need to understand that is not there that is clearly would take about five minutes for any engineer to write, and I firmly believe that it does not exist for the explicit reason to tell pros this is not for you. Okay. And that is star ratings. <laughs> okay. There's yeah. no rating system. You're right. You have a flag, a favorite, whatever the heck it's, it or, is. It's in there. a heart. A heart. There yeah, you go. You right. It. Which is it translates to a flag and every other damn out there, right? But it is, it has no star rating system, and mm. that is, as far as I know, and as far as every pro I've ever talked to, that is one of the main things it's that makes you say nope, can't be can't be used. And yeah. that's fine. You know, it doesn't have batch processing. It doesn't have it to get into editing a photo. You are actually kind of going back to an old Lightroom classic paradigm where you. You have to go into a different room. You mm -hmm. are going from viewing mode into editing mode, and you have to make that click to go into editing mode and wait for a second before you can edit. Whereas in Lightroom now, and as it was in Aperture, there was no difference. You were looking at a picture, and the editing mm -hmm. tools were right there. So, as an as an Aperture fan and user, you're saying that the new Lightroom has taken that flag and has continued it. Yes. So yeah. the new Lightroom works the way Aperture did in that regard, mm -hmm. and it clearly has picked up where it left off and has the full cloud integration has cool. all the features and yes yeah, so, that's so if you're a photographer listening and you're using classic get on board switch over start using it you can do it slowly and uh, incrementally because yeah. adobe is still supporting classic but yeah, uh, it's yeah and of course the problem is in the, the complaint you hear from most people about it is it costs money you have to pay every month storage fees for that's true you, you uh, could, for adobe cloud you used to buy a standalone classic uh copy you know you didn't need the cloud right? right right well it's not just that you're paying for the license to use the the app itself which is a monthly fee which is all of adobe's products are now i mean you can still buy some of them at least but you have to pay for the cloud storage and I the see. more photos you put in the cloud the more you have to pay of course and 
you can't go, oh, I'll put one terabyte in the cloud and keep five terabytes on my hard drive. It doesn't work like that. It's all or nothing. Okay. So that understandably makes some people unhappy. So you have to constantly manage that. And... Well, you don't manage it. There's nothing to manage because it's, it is an all or nothing. It's just, it just works, which is its beauty. But it means that it does cost you money and every month. And so when the more you fill it up, you, you got to add. <laughs> yeah, you got to add. And you get a little thing that pops up that says you're out of cloud storage. Uh -huh. Pay up. And, you know, that's, that can hurt. Um, but at the same token, as a professional, I'm more than willing to pay that monthly fee for, A, that cloud backup, mm -hmm. right? And, B, the ability to access my photos from anywhere at any time. Yeah. That, to me, is worth it. So. I'm happy. You know, I, and just for your listeners to be clear, I am not an Adobe evangelist. I'm not paid by Adobe. I have, I do have a... great relationships with Adobe. Uh -huh. I have great relationships with their product managers and engineering team and a lot of people there, but I am not paid by them at all. Yeah. So, you know, just to make that clear. <laughs> well, um, let's get back on track to, yeah, to Apple. So sure. what happened? You quit or what, what happened? So the Apple thing, it's, that's complicated, but basically... At the end of my tenure there, the department that I was in had grown substantially. It was my, when I first started, I think it was 13 people maybe. Mm. And when I left, it was a couple hundred. And the, the department had gotten so big that things were getting more and more compartmentalized. And my role had always been multifaceted. I had a lot of different jobs. And, and you asked if I was doing shooting on the side at one point. And I said, no, there was never time for it. But once we started working on Aperture, I got to do shoots for Apple. And wow. when I, before I left, my role, I, I, my title never officially changed, but my role was threefold. I was a producer. I was producing shoots for Apple. I was a presenter because I was, whenever we did trade shows, I was the lead presenter. So Macworld, NAB, I was the lead presenter on those stages. And um, a photographer. So producing, presenting, and photography. So and everybody go dig on YouTube and find these presentations. You know, I actually, <laughs> someone found, an, what year was it? NAB, oh, wow, whatever your motion launched. So I don't know, anyway, mm. like, you know, mid-2000s, someone found an old video from uh, a, a recording of NAB and me on stage. Nice. And, you know, I look completely different. It's hysterical. Yeah. And I uploaded it to my YouTube channel like this. I did a okay. little intro I'll for it and I uploaded it, it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it was a great demo, man. It was fun. We had a lot of fun that. Motion's great, yeah. Motion was great. Yeah, so anyway, that was um, when, at the end of my tenure, there, so 2009, the department had gotten much bigger and it was being moved into a different division at Apple. And the writing was very clear on the wall that my role, I mean, I sat down with my bosses and my role was going to become one single thing. And there were three options on the table. And that was, none of those options really fit. Mm -hmm. And so basically option four was we lay you off. And um, unfortunately, that was really the right option because the other three options just weren't going to, I'd be miserable within mm. six months. All three of those jobs would have required me being in a room full time, no traveling, no nothing. Like it would have just sucked. And yeah. so it wasn't for me. So I opted for the layoff and off I went. With a, with hopefully a nice severance. Right? I, you know, it was okay. It wasn't, uh, I get, you hear a story back in the 80s where you'd get like, half of your tenure in salary for uh -huh. like, you know, there were some pretty good packages back then. And no, it wasn't quite like that. Um, okay. But you know, in that, that coincided with a big personal drama in my life and just a whole bunch of other stuff. And so the next few years were quite rough and getting my business started and trying to figure out what to do. But I finally found my footing and ended up, um, you know, ended up essentially the, the 
seeds of where I am today, which is, again, very multifaceted. It's very much in line with how I like to do things. I don't do any just one thing, mm-hmm. but I do, I do photography and now video production as well. So got back into video. Um, I shouldn't say get back into it, just continue to evolve my interest and love for video. Um, and now I professionally, I do more video than photography now, mm-hmm. which that switch that kind of teetered probably maybe a year to two years ago. So I'm definitely doing more video than still production now. A lot of really great courses. You've done um, ex- photo excursions. And sure, the, and sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's again, you know, very multifaceted, right? So I'm doing video and still production for clients just straight up. You know, we need a video produced for this. So corporate commercial stuff mostly. Uh, I was doing portraits for a while, but I kind of backed out of that. I just wasn't really into it. And I do a lot of education because I've been doing training, software training, get up on stage in front of people for so many years now. That has become a big part of what I do. So I have courses on what was lynda.com and is now LinkedIn Learning. I've got, I think, 10 courses on there now, including some are software, but the most popular ones are photography-based, like photo. my Photo 101 mm-hmm. was so popular that we reshot it years later, which is now a couple years ago, so that there's a newer, up-to-date version of it. Nice. And so that's, yeah, that's Sounds awesome. like it's time to do it again, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, a few more years. And, we, you know, we shoot these things to be very evergreen. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're, you know, the... the Things don't change. Your aperture hasn't changed, sure. right? So, right, you know, yeah, aperture it, the in the camera, not the yeah, software. <laughs> that's confusing. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just talking about the mechanics of it and right. composition and right, lensing right. and all that. Exactly. Understand the basics of photography. Photography one hundred and one. Yeah. So, and doing that, and then I've I had launched. So when I left Aperture, I left Apple. I launched a website called Aperture Expert. And it was, even that was a great story in itself. I don't know how much time we have here, but even that was a great story in itself where it was a complete lark. It was one of these things where um, this friend of mine was running a website called, oh man, Mac, oh boy, Mac, Mac Create, is that right? I think that's right. Wow. Man, if he listens to this, he's going to be mad at me for forgetting, but he he had, no, it's okay. He had this, this website that was, initially it was just about some Apple software and then it grew and it was quite, it was a very successful business. And um, it had grown to cover a bunch of different apps, and he asked me if I would write a kind of five tips for Aperture, ten tips for Aperture for his website. So I did. So I wrote it, but it turned into a much bigger thing than was really a simple little thing. And, and we said, you know, we should publish this as an ebook. Mm-hmm. And so he was selling it on his site, and I, um, I thought, you know, I should, you know, I had obviously I owned it, I had the rights to it, so I should sell it on my own as well. And Somewhere, this, the idea for this site called Aperture Expert was born. And all it was in the beginning was to sell this one ebook. And I remember, it's so funny, those little kind of moments in your life that you remember. I was getting ready to do a workshop in Joshua Tree with Frederick Van Johnson. I don't know if you know that name. But Sounds familiar. He runs the This Week in Photo podcast, TWIP. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he and I used to work together at Apple. Uh, so we've been buddies for a long, long time. And, and he and I had decided to do this photography workshop in Joshua Tree. And it was a simple kind of weekend workshop thing. And I was down there scouting out stuff. And I got a ping on my phone of the first sale of the ebook. And it was, I don't know, selling for 10 bucks or something like that. And I was like, whoa, I just, I just sold an ebook. And I think, I think the first day, maybe there were two sales, uh-huh. right? And then a couple more the next day. And you're going, oh my God. I mean, this isn't even beer money, but yeah. oh my God, right? <laughs> you're just, you're out there doing stuff while you're making money. Right, exactly. It was this mm-hmm. the first time that I had that real, I can make money when I'm not sitting at my desk doing something, right? This, this was incredible. And mm. so 
I continued to nurture that site and started putting tips on it. And over the course of several years, it grew into the second largest Aperture resource on the web, the first being my buddy's website. Wow. Well, he decided to retire from what he was doing there. He, he took his career in a different direction for, you know, for a number of years. And so he folded his into mine and I ended up with the largest Aperture resource in the world, right? Which was <laughs> phenomenal. And it stayed that way until Apple pulled the plug on it, uh, which was clearly a very disappointing thing. Yeah. And, you know, I went years doing, like I did massive Aperture training series on there. And mm. then I did another one and it was all on version three because that's what had been shipping at that time. And the whole time I'm like, okay, this is the year they're gonna release Aperture 4. Mm. Okay, okay, this is the year they're gonna really, no? Okay, maybe it'll be this. And then you get the phone call and Apple's PR calls me one morning and says, so we got to tell you something. It's going away. Public, you're going to be public in a couple of hours and this is going away. Oh my gosh. Right. So yeah, that was a you know, major shock. And so at that point, that website was actually one of my primary income sources. And so it was effectively not getting turned off overnight. It's not like people were going to stop using the software immediately, but clearly its future was dead. And so that side, I had to figure out what to do with it. And I got the whole shtick from Apple about how Apple Photos is going to replace Aperture and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so, all right. So I, I rebranded the site as the Photos Expert. Well, that turned out to be a really bad idea because <laughs> nobody needed an expert on photos because it had like three features in it. And, you know, a three-year-old could use it. <laughs> so I did some training on there. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to sell training for a free app. Uh -huh. yeah, so that's a tough, tough sell. But, you know, I did okay with it, but not great. And then after, I don't remember now, probably two years of that, I just went, you know, this is clearly not going to happen. And rebranded the site yet again. And this time it became photo apps expert. So all photo apps. And I said, I'm not going to be beholden to any one company. And that's when things really started to grow for the site. Because now I was covering basically any photo app that I wanted to. Including Lightroom and Photoshop. Exactly. Including <laughs> Lightroom. Um, yeah, I never really got into Photoshop because there's so much Photoshop training out there. Sure. But tons and of other apps, tons of iOS apps. Things like Snapseed. Weeks. My Snapseed training was really popular. Oh, yeah. Um, Great and app. I ended up doing, I think, 20 different Affinity. series. Yeah. yeah, there's tons of stuff. There's just no shortage of photo-related apps out there, especially with the development of the iPhone and the iPad and how powerful they got and so on and so on. So that was, that was awesome. And that did really well for a while and continued to do well. And then I, at some point decided to start playing with this YouTube thing. And initially YouTube was the photo Joseph brand, but that was photo Joseph on YouTube. And which is a name that was what I used for my photography website for the photography business. But photo apps expert was the, the training, the software training thing. And I started doing all this stuff on YouTube and there was this very, there was this overlap that I was constantly conflicted at how to handle. Do I call this a photo Joseph video or a photo expert video? I'm going to make this thing for sale. Where do I sell it? How do I brand it? What do I do with it? And at some point, I guess it's probably been three years now, I decided that I needed to stick with the photo Joseph brand. This is, this brand is me. This is my brand is what people know me as, and I'm just going to roll everything under that one name. And so photoapps.expert became photojoseph.com, and it's oh. been that way ever since. And now photojoseph.com is the overall, overall brand. That's where you find everything, uh, whether it's, you're talking about hardware, software. If it's photo or video related, it's all under one umbrella now. Wow. And that's, that's where it is today. If I were to dig through your site, do you still have old forum posts about Aperture and all that? Absolutely. It's Actually, the yeah, the forum that's on there, it's, it's funny because the, the technology of the site itself, it was initially a Squarespace site. Uh -huh. And 
you know, I had to sell stuff through eJunkie, which they're still around. That uh-huh. was the the store mechanism. And Squarespace evolved, but it never really got where I really wanted it to be. And prior to me doing training for Linda.com, which, okay, another side story here. After I left Apple, I got a call from Linda, asking, not Linda herself, but from the company, <laughs> asking if I would do training for them. And I we had a whole conversation about the revenue plan. Okay, well, you know, sounds like fun, but how am I going to make money on it? Mm-hmm. And their revenue model was quite convoluted. It was like a percentage of a piece of a slice of a piece of a pie of a... It was like really... There was no way to know how much money you're going to make. Uh-huh. Whereas if I'm selling software training or selling something for you know 20 bucks and I'm going to make 15 off of it, well, I can do that math, right? So I know mm-hmm. every... They had no way to tell me how much money I would make. And so I didn't really like this idea. And I, I don't think... I appreciated how big they were or certainly didn't appreciate how big they were going to get. And so I turned them down. And then another company out of Europe called Video to Brain contacted me and they sold this, the training as individual pieces. So there was a very clear for every sale, you're going to make 30 bucks or whatever it is. Great, mm-hmm. sign me up. So I ended up doing some training for them that I recorded from home and then I was, they were based in Graz, Austria. Mm-hmm. And so I was out there a few times doing trainings out there. And that company ended up getting purchased by lynda.com. <laughs> so you ended up so I ended up at Linda and I remember when I found out I was like you know I, this I this is what I wanted and then I got my first royalty check from Linda I was uh-huh. like oh okay oh I should have done this in the beginning <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I think I was making twice as much money off of Linda than I did from Video to Brain they have so, a huge audience of people huge, yeah much bigger audience much bigger and what they've done that's brilliant is they go into corporate uh, places and they'll they'll say hey just buy this for all your employees and like I worked at a place where uh, it was in- included with right. my job it was like right. here's a Linda account it's like wow somebody at Linda is doing that that's uh, that's yep. smart yeah absolutely I've had people uh, show me uh, pictures from airplanes I think is it Emirates I believe had licensed from Linda the photo 101 course and you could watch on a flight to the UAE you what? could watch my entire photo 101 course wow. I know it's crazy right so um, so anyway so Linda acquired them and that's how I ended up with Linda and now LinkedIn bought Linda and then Microsoft bought LinkedIn it's all very complicated <laughs> I'm just waiting for Apple to buy Microsoft and then I'll end up back home um, yeah. but in one of those st- one of those uh, times that I was out in Graz doing training I met with this guy named Joe, who is a software engineer, a, a web engineer, and he he and I became friends, and we were talking about my website, and you know, it was on Squarespace, and I knew it was time to move on, and of course, um, WordPress is the you know the predominant platform for people like me. That's what everybody goes to, and so we were chatting about it, and I didn't really want to do all this web development on my own, so this is great. I could you know I met this guy, he could be my web developer, and we talked through the process of what we should do and decided not to go with WordPress, but to go with a platform called Drupal. Drupal is very customizable. It's open source, very high end. Some of the biggest websites in the world use it. And it's essentially infinitely scalable, infinitely changeable. Oh, wow. Unlike with WordPress, where if you want to do something, you've got to have a plugin for it, or you know maybe you modify a plugin, whatever. Drupal, it's like, if the code doesn't already exist and it's open source, so there's code everywhere, the code doesn't exist, you can just write it, it you know, wow. if you're skilled, which I'm not, but that's what I pay him for. Yeah. And so he's been my web engineer for, I mean, it's it's a decade now at least. And and he helped design, or he did design the site as it is today. And it has changed multiple times, but as you look at it today, it is all this one guy who's done the whole engineering and that website is... Um, is awesome. I mean, it's, I love the way this site works. Can we talk about that? I mean, yeah. a lot of creators that listen to this, they're on Instagram, they're on right. YouTube, uh, they're trying to build their following on these platforms. Sure. 
be you're spending money on a website yeah and i'm you know i agree with that but let's talk about it. like sure do people need to be building a site i'm interrupting our conversation briefly to remind you guys to leave us a star rating and review in the itunes podcast player you can do this using your apple podcast app or if or if you're on a macintosh computer you can go into the podcast app on your mac and leave a review for the show as well the majority of our listeners do listen on apple Podcasts, but if you're on spotify or other platforms you can leave reviews there as well by leaving a review it tells those systems that the show is popular and that people like it. So they're going to share it and suggest it to more people. That's the only reason why we're asking for you guys to leave a review. But if there is a cool story that is tied to the Golden Hour podcast that you'd like to share with us, leaving a review is a great way for us to see some feedback from you guys. I've gotten some messages on Instagram before, and I really appreciate all of the love and support for this show. We're happy to bring it to you guys every single week. Thank you guys for leaving a review and a rating. Let's go back to my interview now with Joseph. YouTube for me, obviously I do make money on YouTube, you know, not a massive amount, but I make money on YouTube, but its purpose is not, its primary purpose isn't to make money on its own, but it's to be a marketing engine for photojoseph.com. Photojoseph.com has a ton of free stuff, but there is a paywall. You can pay a monthly or annual fee to have access to other training. And that is where, um, I mean, I can't even say the majority of the money comes from now, but that is where a portion of the income, my income comes from. And so that website allows me the mechanism to do that. And with as part of the whole change from photoapps.expert to photojoseph.com, that allowed me to embed my YouTube videos onto there and not have this weird conflict of where am I? Am I looking at photojoseph or photoapps expert stuff? So it's all on there now. And so when I do a YouTube video, it goes on YouTube, obviously, but then gets embedded on my site. But also, it gets uploaded to a um, a private Vimeo uh, as a private Vimeo video, mm-hmm. which is embedded on my site as well. And so, what happens is, if you go to you open up any blog post on you know the, I mean any page on my site that has one of my YouTube videos on it, mm-hmm. if you are not logged in or you're not a member, you're watching the YouTube video, which has ads running against it. So you're watching the ads. If you log in, if you're a member, a paid member of the site, then that automatically swaps out and you're now looking at the Vimeo video, wow. which is better quality because Vimeo does better compression than mm-hmm. YouTube and there's no ads. Yeah. And so it's just one of those like minor perks. You know, nobody would pay for it just for that, but you can pay YouTube and get ad free video. Right. But if you, uh, it's one of the, per- the perks, one of the benefits of being a paid member of my site. So you get a better quality, you know, ad free version of the video. Yeah. But this also means that should I ever get banned from YouTube or my account get deleted or YouTube goes away or anything, it would literally take my engineer a matter of minutes to remove the YouTube side of it and have every video now show the Vimeo one mm-hmm. to everybody. And so all that content is protected, right? I have zero, mm-hmm. I'm at zero well, risk. unless Vimeo goes down too, but. Well, right. But Vimeo is not, <laughs> but Vimeo is not a platform that is, that, cancels users because they don't like their views Correct. kind of a thing, right? They're just a company that might go bankrupt one day. <laughs> well, sure. No, no, fair <laughs> enough. No, that, absolutely. That's always a possibility. But no, you could uh, easily move that to another thing or right, whatever. Right, yeah. I wouldn't say easily, but yes, you know, you're right. Of course, it's not, not easy, yeah. it's not, you know, be, riskless. I shouldn't say zero risk, a, but you get the idea. Process. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not at, um, I'm not at the mercy of YouTube, which is, can be very Brilliant. finicky about things, right? And that's where having this amazing coder that you've got comes in oh, handy. Oh my God, yeah. That's I mean, nice. I could never do this on my own. And so the website has these posts of the 
of the YouTube videos. But part of it is that I can organize and catalog and tag things on my site in ways that I can't do on YouTube. So let's say that you're looking for videos about, um, well, I'm a Lumix ambassador, so that's part of my thing as well. So let's say you want to learn about the GH5 and you go to YouTube and you type in GH5, you're going to find obviously a million videos. You type in Photo Joseph and GH5 and you're going to find most of my videos um, along with a bunch of others. But if you want to find my GH5 videos and not just videos where I happen to mention a GH5, but it's not about the GH5, then there's really no good way to do that on YouTube. It's just, you, there's no clean filtering mm -hmm. like that. Whereas you go to my site and you click on the filter by hardware and you go, oh, GH5, and you're going to see only GH5 videos. Mm -hmm. And if you click on that drop down or you go to the page where you can actually see the icons and filter through it. There are hundreds of topics in there and you can pick any one of those and boom, all you're going to see is content related to that. They're all relevant yeah. and it's all relevant. So it's really, Brilliant. really clean that way. That's, that's the beauty of a website is, and that makes so much sense. Uh, I've heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this with his site. Yeah. I know that he catalogs all of his videos. He has transcripts of those videos. Sure. And you could search a word that he says or like a certain sentence and it pulls up the video at that time code on his site. I mean, that's you know, insane. That's, yeah, it's funny you say that. That'd so that's, be ideal, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's actually, that is the next level. That's the beauty of the site. And anybody who's listening uh, who's a creator similar to, to, to you, the, that's why you want it to do this with a site. You, you control what yeah. they see. You control uh, how people can find it. You know, you're not relying on YouTube's algorithm. Yep. You know? And I've, I've been experimenting a bunch with what's the right way to drive traffic there. And, and you know, I, at some point, I go to have been to VidSummit a couple of times. And one of the things that I'd picked up along the way, and, you know, keeping in mind that everything you learn about YouTube is all speculation. Nobody actually knows anything, <laughs> right? It's all speculation. But one of the things that I had learned was that if you have a lot of outbound links on your YouTube description, meaning links to other sites, that YouTube doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. And... I, of course, would have, as most other YouTubers do, if you're talking about a product, you're going to have links to all your products, which are clearly outbound links. They're links to Amazon, B&H, whatever, you know, whatever product you're selling. And the more links you've got like that, apparently it's not good. And so at some point, what I decided to do, and this is kind of a killing two birds with one stone thing, was if there's a single product, let's say I'm doing a video about, you know, the GH5, again, as an example, obviously, I'm just going to put a link there, buy your GH5 here, done. But a lot of my videos have a lot of products in them. And so then you're talking about 10 links on there. Well, I don't really want to do that. So now what it does is you go in there in the very top of the description, you'll see a short couple line description of the video. Mm -hmm. And then a line that says, for all the links you're looking for, click here. And that takes you to photojoseph.com slash YT for YouTube. So I know where it came from slash EP for episode and then whatever the number is. And so the oh. last one that got released is episode 499. Mm -hmm. And so now on my site, that takes me to photojoseph.com obviously where you have the same video embedded mm -hmm. if you're a paid member now you get to see the vimeo version of it and all the links that you're looking for and the transcription that is now embedded there in clear text mm -hmm. and like, everything that you would need is all there we've now and brought them to your site i know i've now brought them to my site and not so now, genius link not kit.co it's your site it's my site now once they're on my site all the product links are genius links absolutely genius a huge shout out to them huge props to them absolutely love genius yeah and uh, we can talk about that if you want to, although you know, we could be here all night. But um, but now they're on my site. And so now they can see the other mm -hmm. offerings that I have. And that has been great. And one of the things, the other things about controlling your own site. So I mentioned that the URL that they'll click on from YouTube is photojustice.com slash YT for YouTube slash the episode number. Why is that? That is so that when I'm on my site and I look at my own stats, I can see all I got to do is filter by... Um, 
filter by the episode number. So I go, you know, EP 499 in, in my redirects and I see YT EP 499 and I can see exactly how many people came from YouTube. But when I post these links on Twitter, on Facebook, anywhere on LinkedIn, I have different redirects. So it's slash FB slash TW slash LI. And then I have a very clear picture on my dashboard mm. of where the traffic is coming from. And I learned that, oh, Twitter sends me eight times as much traffic as uh, Facebook, which sends me eight times as much traffic as LinkedIn. So I can see very quickly <laughs> on my own site and my own stats where this traffic is coming from. That's fun. Without having, it's not Google Analytics links. It's just a very clear kind of old school, simple, just a different redirect. Wow. And that uh, is so, uh, the system you've got is incredible. It's It works. You know, it's taken a lot of time to develop and it's always changing and refining, but this makes it very simple for me to just see what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that process of it is, is pretty cool. <laughs> it's incredible. So when I discovered your content, it was it was often about live stream stuff, but then also Panasonic. Right. Um, and uh, you mentioned you're a Panasonic, uh, what are they called? Ambassador. A, a Lumix yeah. ambassador. Yeah, we, we were called, it was Lumix Luminaries. That was when I first joined. That was the original mm -hmm. name. But then the ambassador program went global. And I mean, I, it, I think there were already ambassador programs in other countries. But then the domain, as they call it, corporate, that's the Japanese headquarters, they wanted to make it a unified global platform. And so we got rebranded as ambassadors because that's clearly a name that everybody understands. So how did um, that happen? I mean, there's obviously a lot of other companies out there that sure. make cameras. <laughs> I yeah. talk about all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Panasonic makes some really great ones, especially for video shooters. Sure. Um, what got you interested in Panasonic? And then tell me about your journey into you know, working with them sure. uh, with your channel. Yeah, that's it's a good question because a lot of people ask about that. And I would say, honestly, when people think about you, they think about you as the, the Panasonic guy almost. Right. If you on, on YouTube, that is definitely one whereas, of the big, uh, big Whereas strengths. Jason Vong is the Sony guy. You're the Panasonic guy, right? I'm the gear guy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, it, it's a good question because I do get asked a lot. People will say, hey, I, wanna, I want some free gear. How do I sign up to be a Lumix ambassador, right? You're like... <laughs> Well, that's not how it works. Well, number one, cool. wrong way to ask. Yeah, it. number one, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> the story, without going into a super long, detailed, weedsy story, the story is I, w I used to shoot Canon. I shot Canon full frame, and I had um, 5D Mark II and 1DS Mark, 1DX Mark III, I think, were my last Canon cameras. And a buddy of mine had introduced me to a bunch of different platforms. He, a buddy of mine is kind of a camera collector and he had essentially given me a box full of cameras. Here, go play with these for a few weeks. <laughs> and in that box was an Olympus OMD, God knows what number it was, but a Micro Four Thirds camera. Mm -hmm. And there were Fuji cameras and there was a bunch of stuff in there. This was early days of uh, mirrorless. Yes, definitely early days of mirrorless. We're talking, let's see, I'd say 2011 maybe. So, I mean, Micro Four Thirds was it, I think, at the time, right? What do maybe, you go oh, for mirrorless? For mirrorless. Um, maybe Sony was doing the I think Fuji. Alpha. Fuji's were mirrorless at that point. Yeah, Fuji was mirrorless because I had, ooh, I think the model's an X100 maybe. The original X100. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. I still have that camera. It looks like a little Leica rangefinder. Yeah, neat looking, neat little camera, yeah. right? Neat little camera. So, yeah, that was my first mirrorless. Actually, no, my first mirrorless camera was a Lumix camera. Not, was it interchangeable lens? Gosh, I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> So my buddy gives me this bag yeah. full of cameras and I'm playing with all these different cameras and he goes, Hey, have you shot with the Olympus yet? And I go, no, it's micro four thirds. Come on, man. I'm a yeah. full frame guy. And he's like, dude, go shoot the micro four thirds camera. Stop being a snob. Fine. whatever." <laughs> so I take the camera out and I start playing with it. I'm like, 
oh, this camera's kind of cool. Yeah. It was, first of all, it was really small and light. Yeah. Love that. It was uh, full of features, just packed full of cool tech features that my Canon certainly didn't have because the Canons were basically a box. And if you wanted to make it do anything cool, you had to buy an accessory for it. And <laughs> I really got to like the camera. And so after I shipped it all back to him, I ended up getting the uh, same camera, basically an Olympus OMD, whatever it was. I got one for myself. And I think I got a kit, so the camera and like a little kit zoom lens. And I was just playing with it. And then over the next year, maybe two years or so, I was using it more and more, and I was buying more and more lenses for it. And obviously at some point you realize, oh, you don't have to just buy Olympus lenses. You can buy Panasonic lenses as well. And I found that the majority of my lenses were Panasonic lenses. And so then I started exploring the Panasonic bodies. And so at this point, I was pretty well into Micro Four Thirds as a format. I did my first commercial shoot with Micro Four Thirds was for Mercedes-Benz. And I did some you know, shooting commercial stuff with Micro Four Thirds. It's kind of a big deal. That was really cool. And, and then somewhere along that process, I was introduced to people at Panasonic. And we got chatting. We became friendly. And, and I was... I was looking for an opportunity to do stage presentations again because it's something that I really missed doing at Apple and I had no opportunity to do anymore um, outside of a few visits to schools. That's a whole other part of my career. But anyway, <laughs> I told you I'm busy. I do a lot. <laughs> um, but I didn't have that many opportunities to talk on stage and it's something I really missed. And so I was chatting with the guy from Panasonic who runs the program and I expressed my desire to be on stage again and I am shooting with your cameras and that would be really neat to have an opportunity to present for you guys. And it was maybe a year after that, and you obviously kept in touch, with whatever, it was probably a year after that, that I was invited uh, to join the team, which was a big thing. It's like, that wasn't necessarily what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, I just hire me to stand up on stage and talk because that's something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so I got invited to the team and it was quite a small team. It still is a very small team. And that turned out just to be a really, really cool experience. And so now I've been an ambassador for, I don't know, six, seven years, whatever it is now. And um, obviously the Lumix lineup has evolved massively and you're back to full frame now. <laughs> and well, right now, and now we've got full frame as well. And, um, and you know, I do it somewhere along that way. I started the YouTube channel, really started pushing that. And Panasonic really likes what I do because I, I do all these YouTube videos. And so that gets a lot of focus on their camera gear, yeah. which is, which is my kind of what I really bring to the table. The video uh, features you mean? Or? Well, just talking about Panasonic cameras on YouTube as a representative, not just a reviewer who's may or may not have the messaging right. And, you know, gotcha. it's 100% true. And, you know, obviously I say this every time I do one of these videos, I am a paid ambassador. I am uh -huh. not doing a review of the S1, for example, right? I, this is not a review. This is educational. I'm here to tell you what the camera's got. And I am... Uh, if there's something that I don't like about the camera, I will tell you that, and mm -hmm. that's fine for me to be able to do, but I'm not going to do a comparison to the latest Sony or Canon or Nikon. That's not what I do. Plenty of other people do. Plenty that. of other people do that. <laughs> so people come to me to learn all the features, not to be... Uh, not to learn if it's better than another camera, just to learn everything this camera can do. Right, that's so a different approach. That actually clarifies a lot for me. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Okay, I just thought that you just got stuff and you kind of have a relationship. I didn't realize it was like a a true partnership kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's I'm not an employee, right? Absolutely not an employee. So I'm not beholden to the same guidelines and same requirements of an employee. But at the same time, I am an ambassador. I'm a public ambassador for the company. And so clearly, you know, I, if I stood up and said, oh, the such and such, you know, the latest Sona Kanaka Pentax or whatever camera yeah. is the best thing ever, um, 
there'd be a FedEx envelope at my door saying your contract has been terminated. Right. I mean, clearly, you know, you can't be an idiot. Is about that, it. does that, is that hard for you to not talk about other no, not things at all, going I, on? No, not at all. Uh, it, I think that the way that I like to do things, I'm, I, even if you remove the camera side of it, just look, talk about lighting or lenses or any other camera gear. That's not Lumix. I don't do comparisons that often because mm -hmm. that's not, that's not what I really love. I love going really deep into a product that I think is a good product and telling you everything that I can tell you about this product. Mm -hmm. Like the, let's use the Blackmagic A10 Mini as an example. I've just done a series of videos about that because it's an incredible product that I think is absolutely phenomenal. And it's not a perfect product, right? But it is absolutely phenomenal. For the price point, it frankly is a perfect product. It's, it's just remarkable how good this thing is. <laughs> And I love it. And so I go into the weeds on it. And I get people go at me emailing me or messaging me on, on um, YouTube saying, oh, can you compare it to this product? Like, I can do a cursory comparison, but I'm not interested in doing side-by-side, -side, which is best kind of videos. Yeah, It's just not my format. And so because that's not what my desire is in the first place, mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt to not be able to compare any other camera to gotcha. Lumix cameras. Now, obviously there are times where you kind of want to, cause you're like, this feature is so good. Well, I mean, everybody's like, talking about the, let's say the Sony something. And you're like, dude, this camera does this way better, but that's not what I do. Yeah. And Fuji's going to have 6k 60 frames per second. IBIS with a flip screen soon. So we'll see. So right? we'll see. Right. You never know, right? <laughs> but will it do raw? Right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And will it be any good? Right. And yeah. Will the battery last more than five minutes? Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's, and I will do little digs. I've always had fun at digging it, you know, like dig at Sony for the yeah. battery performance and overheating cameras, you know, those it's kind of things. It's all in good fun. But it, well, it's all in good fun. It's legit. I'm never, I'm not making stuff up. It's all legit. But at the same token, yeah, it's in good fun. I'm not there to slag off any other camera manufacturer because look, they're all awesome. Like, you cannot at, buy a bad camera a great, today. Great time. Oh, incredible time. And there are always features that are better in some cameras than others. And I know, obviously, autofocus on the Lumix cameras <laughs> is not the best out there. You know, make no bones about it. It's just, it's gotten better and better, but it's mm -hmm. still not as good as the Sony and the Canon. I'll be the first to tell you that. I get it, right? I get mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'm not going to do side by side comparisons. Some of the greatest photographers in the world shot manual focus. We'll go figure right? entire career. Right. <laughs> you don't have to have autofocus to be a photographer. Very, very true. <laughs> or a cinematographer. Yeah. Or even a YouTuber. Does that mean that you can uh, dip into the Leica world? Uh, like, because Panasonic and Leica kind of have this interesting little marriage. Well, going the L mount on. Alliance. I mean, um, like the, like the new S was SL two. I feel like it's just a Panasonic camera with a Leica badge it's on it. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, it's basically like the, the S one R, um, it's, it's well, I'm just wondering fine. if in your contract, if you'd be allowed to kind of dip into the Leica world. I guess, but I really you don't, care. don't want to. Yeah, yeah. it's because you know, buy those cameras, it's too damn expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the lenses, sure, but even the lenses, I mean, the lenses are no, insane. No, I mean, right? yeah, I was... They're beautiful. Everybody's been kind of, because the new monochrome just came out and mm. I've been like an $8,000. Okay, now that's a camera that I want. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I shot with was it that same buddy that sent me the box full of cameras. One of those cameras was a Leica monochrome. And so this is, you know, the, older one, the first yeah. generation, the CCD sensor. Yeah. Back in Man, the day, that, that camera, there is something about that is so yeah. special, really special. And I've been begging Panasonic to do one. I'm like, come on guys, can we do a monochrome, please? <laughs> <laughs> they would be um, the only one uh, other than Leica. Like yeah, and, they would. Uh, they would. It's clearly very specialized, very niche, niche, but yeah. man. Man, I would love one of those. I, anyway, I uh, would love the. I think there's the one Leica that doesn't have a screen on the back. I know that sounds so dumb. Yeah. But I love the the fact that you know it's forcing me to just be a photographer to so, be in the moment. 
that you could always put gaff tape on your screen, but you could, but it's not the same. So that camera, here's a little story for you. Um, I don't know how much credit this individual gets for it, but I know that he was a huge proponent of it and he might be, he might get full credit for it, but seal, you know, the artist seal. Yeah, of course. So seal and I are friends. We go back uh, to my early days at (laughs) Apple. I was his tour photographer in 2009. I went on his European soul tour and 26 countries. I think it was, is that right? 26, whatever. It was a lot. It was, it was incredible. What great experience. But, um, but he seal is a huge photography buff and he shoot he loves Leica. He he shoots a lot of things. Um he's actually the one who sent me that box full of cameras. That was him. Um so the the he's a big Leica fan and I know that was something that he really wanted that was a camera without that L C D on the back. And I think Leica kinda did that for him. That might not be totally true, but I think that's kind of well. It, it, I'm sure it's it a employs a bit, and, uh, <laughs> and it's a great product. I mean, it's nothing. Exi- I mean, I guess the new Fuji kind of is like that. The X Pro Three, the screen flips into itself, um, and so if you want to actually chimp and look at your photo, it's a very intentional process of kind of opening the screen. But as you're using it, the screen's always well, closed. So the GH5 and the G9, all those cameras have <laughs> yeah, the LCD yeah. that closes. No, in, you're right. You're right. right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So you could do it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, you could always just gaff tape off the thing if you really wanted to anyway. It's not the same. But it's not the same. No, it's not. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I don't know how we went on that tangent. Oh, the, the Leica. So yeah, the Leica glass is obviously awesome. But the whole thing with the yellow lines is you've also got um, Sigma doing really yes. great lenses. And yeah, I've got a couple of those lenses sitting on my shelves that I need to do some videos on. I so that's, I, that's, ta- I heard Tamron's going to get into it too. Oh, cool. So, yeah. That's great. I, it's, you know, the more the merrier, more right? The merrier. This is, this is great. And one of the, not to go into a camera thing, but too much here, but the, the, one of the great things about, well, one of the great things about mirrorless in general is that you can adapt lenses to it, mm-hmm. right? And you can adapt almost anything to micro four thirds, but of course, then your focal length doubles. So you, you know, these awesome old Canon or Pentax, uh, 50 millimeter lenses, for example, and they're beautiful, but on a micro four thirds, now it's a hundred mil. It's like, ah, it's a little bit tight for the kind of things that you might want to use it for. Yeah. But now with the S series and the full frame, now suddenly that's no longer the case. And so I've been having a blast adapting old lenses. I've been <laughs> building quite a collection. Uh, <laughs> it's a little How's your wife like that? <laughs> Doesn't matter. My business is separate. <laughs> that's great. Very, okay. For anybody listening who's getting into this, into this gig, I'll tell you, I am an employee of my company. I draw a paycheck from my company. I get paid the same amount every two weeks, just like anybody at any regular job would. I can contribute to 401k. Um, the company pays the company taxes, corporate taxes. I pay personal taxes. The whole thing, they're two totally separate entities. And so as long as my paycheck's clear, the amount of money that I spend on anything else is irrelevant, right? That's not anybody else's business, but the businesses. And so there's no, you know, you made the joke, and I know you're kidding, but the whole thing of, you know, your wife must love that. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes she's like, really? You've got another lens? But, you know, yeah. you, obviously you're still going to hear it. But <laughs> but it's not the – unless I get really stupid and, like yeah. I said, I spend all the money and my paycheck won't clear, then it is irrelevant. Having a separate business set up that is – completely independent from you as an individual is a very, very good idea. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's a good idea. It's a requirement. You, you got to do it. a bookkeeper and all that too? Or? Yeah. 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 I, well, so I had a bookkeeper for years and then she fired me because her business was growing into larger and larger companies and I was too small of a client for her. And I think she ended up kind of changing the direction of her business a little bit. And anyway, she's like, look, I just, I can't, you know, sorry, but I can't do you anymore. And 
I decided at that point to just try to do it on my own, which I'd done before and I really hated, but I do everything through QuickBooks Online and a lot of stuff has been automated. And so as long as I go at it every once in a while, it's fine. I do have an accountant, right? Absolutely. I would never try to do my taxes on my own. That, yeah. That's just insanity. But um, <laughs> but the day-to-day -day bookkeeping, I no longer have somebody else, which was really expensive, honestly. It was costing me a lot of money okay. for what turned out wasn't a whole lot after the initial setup and once she kind of taught me how to do things mm -hmm. which in itself was invaluable uh now i can do it on my own okay but if you're starting off if you quickbooks has a thing it's like 200 month 200 bucks a month and you got like a person yeah i just discovered that because i was poking around doing some accounting cleanup and i'm excited to do my 1099s right send yeah. those out to my vendors and i was poking around and i saw that i'm like oh that's actually really good now that you can do it straight through the app. So I might, we'll see if, if my accountant gets my paperwork and is like, dude, you really screwed things up. Then maybe I will have to hire an accountant, <laughs> a bookkeeper again. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's really great. And so that's, you know, a huge shout out to QuickBooks Online for this. Intuit has done a really good job with this. And I think that the software, I've been using it now for quite a few years and it has definitely evolved and become mm -hmm. better and better. But it's it's slick. Yeah, uh, it's so funny how no matter what we're talking about, if it's some sort of software that you like, you immediately are like an evangelist for it. You're, <laughs> you're such a natural at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe in it. You know, it's good software. I'll, I'll happily tell you stuff that sucks too. But um, I'm just saying it's like a like you said. It's a, that's another superpower of yours. Yeah. You can evangelize different evangelize anything. Yeah. Products. Yeah. Have you seen this water bottle? Um, <laughs> no, it's. QuickBooks Online is it's a great service in the sense that it really does make it easy. And it makes it easy to keep track of all your money, all your spending, run reports and stuff like that, which is incredibly important to know where your money is coming from and going to. Mm -hmm. Right. The way and I have very, very much customized it, but the way my thing is set up now, when I look at my PL, I can see exactly where money is coming from in my business. And I can go, oh, well, look at that. The revenue that I'm drawing in from we'll call it YouTube as a whole, which is going to be ad revenue, sponsorships, um, uh, affiliate sales, all that. I can see how that has grown over the years and I can determine whether it's worth putting the effort into it that I'm doing. Now, there's also the halo effect of that. As I talked about, YouTube is largely a marketing arm that brings money in for photojoseph.com. That's also a way that I can sell seats on my workshops, which incidentally, any listeners out there who want to go to India this fall, if you go to photojoseph.com slash India, that will take you to a... Uh, one page website, huge, tons of detail about the workshop that I'm doing this fall. So this fall, I am taking six people only, very small group, taking six people to India, northern India, Rajasthan, state of Rajasthan. We will be at the, uh, we'll hit the Taj Mahal. We start in New Delhi. We'll go to the Taj Mahal because you kind of got to go to the Taj Mahal when you're there. We'll be visiting um, Jaipur, Jodhpur, and Jaisalmer, three cities up there that are all stunning. And the Cherry on top of this whole trip is the Pushkar Camel Fair, mm. which is one of the most photogenic, like absolutely epic things you will ever see. I took a group to India early last year, and we went out there for the Kumela, which is the single largest gathering of human beings on planet Earth. Really? Millions, tens of millions of people in one place. It is absolutely insane, and it was just an absolutely incredible experience. Wow. And that went really, really well. And so this time I'm going to the taking people to the Pushkar Fair, which is, I mean, I have not yet been to the Pushkar Fair, right? But obviously seen pictures of it. I've been everywhere else in India that we're going to, but I have not been to the Pushkar Fair yet. But it looks, you just Google that, look at the photos. Oh man, that's going to be cool. Heck yeah. So I have uh, six seats available and um, I know a few of them are already claimed. So anybody who wants to go get on it quick, but yeah, check that out. Photojoseph.com slash India. Yeah. 
uh, come with me to India. We will have a lot of fun. We take some great pictures, learn a lot about photography, and eat some really good food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're coming up at the end of the podcast here. <laughs> We've kind of talked about your career, which is, has gone just in all sorts of amazing directions. One thing that I did want to ask you, yeah. going from Apple to working for yourself, sure. were you always an entrepreneur? Were you always a, a business owner, even though you were working for different companies? How did you make that transition from corporate to self-employed? Yeah, I would say I've I've always been entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. I would say I have owned my own business multiple times. That that stint between the Medicreations company when they went away and me starting at Apple, I was had my business with a friend of mine. We were business partners, and that was great, but it couldn't persist because of visas and other things. Anyway, um, but that I did my own business then. When I was in college, I was doing photography on the side. I had my own little kind of you know little photography and just graphic design. I was doing some graphic design work back then too. Um, and even when I was in high school, I was, you know, selling stuff, doing a little bit of work on the side. I remember, it's actually, it's kind of a, a cute story. I remember very, very clearly the moment where I understood that you could make money doing photography. And my dad was always really into, um, into air, like an air show, anything airplane related. Uh, he's in the aerospace industry his whole career. Anyway, so we used to go to this, uh, this air race called the Reno Air Races. We go there every year. And... Awesome. I don't know if you've ever been to anything like that, but seeing like P-51s flying around pylons right off the ground doing races or right in front of you, there's nothing cooler, man. This big old Mustang flying by. Oh, so awesome. Anyway, so we used to go to these trade to these uh, air shows every year. And a buddy of my dad's, a guy, a friend of his from college, wanted a picture taken of him in front of this cool vintage plane, some, some beautiful plane. And he goes, hey, Joseph, if you'll take a picture of me in front of this plane, if the picture's any good, I'll buy a print off you. Print me an 8x10, I'll buy it off you for 50 bucks. And I was, you know, I'm like probably 13, 14 years old or something, and I'm like, whoa, really? $50? <laughs> yeah, right? That's a lot of money. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure he was being very generous. And so I did the picture, and it came out great, and so he bought a print for me, and I was like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> Like that was that moment was that tipping point where I just went, Ooh, I can make money doing this. And so there was always that kind of side hustle idea. And when I left Apple to start things on my own full time, it was very much, I am going to be a full time photographer. Now, it never worked out that that's all I did was be a full time photographer, which again is perfectly fine. It suits my nature. But I have absolutely made a good portion of my living doing still photography and now video and everything else we're talking about. But that has, that was the drive. Leaving Apple was a hard thing to do. It's a great company. It's an amazing place to work. The most amazing people you'll ever work with are there, right? It is a place that just did not suffer fools. So if someone came in there who didn't belong, which was really rare that someone got in who didn't belong there. Um, and that sounds a bit elitist, but you know, at a company of that stature, you got to be good at what you do to be there. And it was rare that anybody got in who wasn't awesome. And the people that I worked with were just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. A lot of them are still there. I'm still in touch with and friends with most people that I ever worked with Mm -hmm. there. So that was a hard thing to leave. Having that camaraderie, having those friends, um, that was hard. You know, the steady paycheck, the healthcare, right? All that's a hard thing to leave. But it, like I said, it was kind of, you know, only half my choice. I didn't really have a whole lot of choice in the matter um, because the choice was like, you know, door number one or door number two and neither one of them are any good yeah. um so after apple it's like 
where else am I going to go yeah. that I'm going to be super excited about? And I don't mean to disrespect anybody who's left Apple and gone on to other things because clearly there are amazing other companies out there. Sure. But it just, that wasn't my path. And, sure. and I, that's what you know, led you to struggled. do what you're doing now. Yeah. And I struggled like hell, but I made it work, did the hustle, worked my ass off, you know, made a bunch of mistakes and, uh, but, you know, worked out in the end. And now I'm, you know, for quite a few years now, it's my business has been doing very well. I'm very happy with where I'm at, making good money. You know, everything has come together. Living it's in awesome. A, living in a state that you love. Right. Living in a great area. Um, you know, I, I don't live in a big city with the, the madness that goes is entailed with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's great. And it's worked out really well. It took a lot of hard work and I still work my ass off. But, you know, so today at the at the end of this uh, this conference, this uh, Vlog University that we're at, the last panel that I was watching was talking about burnout. Mm-hmm. and how you can avoid burnout or how you can recover from burnout and so on. And it's a huge topic. And this is something that we hear a lot about. And I'd say over the last probably six months to a year, it's been a massive topic on YouTube. People talking about people kind of coming out and going, um, like confessing that they have burned out and they had these, you know, really suffered depression and all these really awful things people have gone through because they work too hard, right? They're just killing themselves doing this. Yeah. And I'm fortunate to be able to say that I've, I've never experienced that, but I think a big part of it is because I had this big corporate background. Mm-hmm. I treat my job as a job. Mm-hmm. I go in in the morning. I have a studio that I go to. I go in in the morning. I work all day. I come home in the evening and I don't work at night. I come home and I spend time with my family and I don't go to work on weekends. Now, clearly there are exceptions. Obviously there are times when I got something I have to do. I got to work late. I got to put in a weekend. Obviously there's trade shows and travel things and sometimes you're gone. But as a general rule, I treat it like a regular job. I draw a paycheck like a regular job. I go in in the morning. I clock out in the evening. And that's just a normal routine. And that really, really helps. The hustle is a wonderful thing. It's great to do stuff that you love and really push on it and build it into something huge. But you got to watch out for yourself. You got to watch out for your personal health, your mental health. You, you know, you got to take care of yourself. That's right. um, at the end of the day, if you burn out, have a heart attack, whatever, you're not any good to anybody. Yeah. And your family's not going to appreciate that. Nope. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe scale it back a little bit and, and learn to live life. I think that for me, part of that, too, is getting out of the big city. You know, not living in the Bay Area, not living in L.A., live in a small little mountain town. It's awesome. Right. And we are going we won't get into this story because it'll be another half hour. But we have our plan. My wife is from Europe and we are moving to Europe in a number of years. We have a very, very specific plan lined up and we will again be in a small ish. I mean, definitely bigger than we are now, but we're going to be in a smaller European city where I will continue to do what I do because I can do it from anywhere yep. and That's the beauty of it. life will be, you know, even more lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. You, you gotta, you know, take care of yourself people. Well, everybody who's listening, go check out photojoseph.com. Uh, there, I'm sure you've got all your socials linked everywhere. I'm sure. Yeah, so it's really easy. I'm photo Joseph absolutely everywhere. Another reminder, guys, go check out the website where you can sign up to potentially go with Joseph to India. Yeah, photojoseph.com slash India. It is going to be incredible. It's a huge amount of information on the site. You can know exactly what we're going to do. There's a lot. Safety it, and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's all on there. We talk about all that. It is um, it is an all-inclusive. It's not cheap, but it is all-inclusive. I mean, obviously, we're going to India. It's a huge trip. It's two weeks long we it's all inclusive all internal airfare hotels meals everything's included wow. so all you got to do is get to delhi and back but um yeah it's, it's very gonna cool be great. 
Thank you so much, Joseph, for coming on the uh, Golden Hour podcast. It was a pleasure getting to know you uh, on a much deeper level and uh, hearing your story. And uh, I know it was real inspirational to me. I'm going to get on my website right now, start tuning it up. (laughs) Anybody who's listening, build a website. But uh, yeah, Yeah. go check out photojoseph.com. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Photo Joseph. It was a pleasure getting to know him better and hearing his incredible career story. For me, the thing that really stood out with our conversation was hearing how he runs his business. The fact that he has basically a separate entity that is his business and he essentially gets a paycheck from his own business is a really amazing way to operate. I don't do this and I'm going to be changing the way that I operate my business because I was so inspired by my conversation with Joseph. Let me know your thoughts on this show on Instagram or Twitter. You can follow me at Dave Mays and hit me a DM and say, hey, this thing was really cool that you said on this one time and this one podcast episode that was really awesome. Or you could just say, what's up, Dave? I'd really appreciate it. Anyways, if you've listened all the way to the end of the show and you're not subscribed to the podcast already, hit that subscribe button. It means the world to us that you guys subscribe and share this podcast every single week. We post podcasts every single Tuesday and we're happy to have you here. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast and we'll see you next time.